don't have to worry. Last week it was we don't have to worry about there being enough time. There's plenty of time for the things that God needs us to do and that he's calling us to do. He's got us. So this week we continue on that track. And <clears throat> the thought for today is that there are plenty of people. There's plenty of people to do the things that God wants to be done. There's plenty of God is a God of abundance. So as I really kind of got crystallized for me that this was the sermon for this week, I couldn't help but like smile to myself because I feel like this might just be a sermon for me. And the rest of you, if you can relate to it, I'm happy for that as like a bonus. But like it's seeing versus believing. Like, do I see enough people to help us renovate an entire community center and, and move down there to Taunton? Are there enough? Do I see it? Is it happening? Will it happen? Like, do we see enough people to fund this? Never mind to do the work. Do we see enough people for worship on Sunday mornings? Do we see enough people in our lives? Do we see enough people uh, doing missional things out in the community? Like, is there enough? And then it just makes you wonder, like, well, what's enough? What's enough? It's got to be defined by God. Enough has to be God's number. Because our enough will probably never be satisfied. Or we'll sell ourselves far short of what God might have. So there's plenty of people for all that God wants to do. And so I was thinking, well, then it doesn't just relate to the center, although that's such an obvious thing, a big project with a few of us stepping into it in faith. Um, there are plenty of people for us in our own lives individually, too. There are plenty of people for all of us to find and develop close friends. There are plenty of people... God has plenty of people for us to have those close friends. I remember when I was little, I had this prayer that I would pray. How old was I? Probably like fifth, sixth grade. Dear God, please give me a best friend. Oh, cute little Davy. <laughs> Dear God, please give me a best friend. Because I didn't feel like I really connected or related to any of the kids I went to school with. And I didn't feel like I had any close friends around the neighborhood. And it was seventh grade, God brought me Nick and Rob, who became fast friends all through high school, and they were the answer to that prayer. But for a while there, it was just kind of like, I don't really fit in, and I don't really have my people. So I kept praying that. Maybe you're praying that right now. God, please, where are my people? Everybody who I talk to or connect with doesn't feel like exactly my speed. <laughs> we're not clicking the way I wish we would. Uh, I feel lonely or alone. There are plenty of people for God to bring us those people for us. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're dating. There are plenty of people for God to bring you someone to be a partner with you if that's his will. There's plenty of people. It's not that there isn't enough. It's that we need to find out what his plan is and follow it so that he can connect with us with what we need. You know? For our Michaela, there was plenty of Venezuelan Davids for her to find one in Florida and import him. <laughs> this is fantastic. There's only one. There's only one. <laughs> yes, the right one in the right time. But it required waiting on both of your parts. And that's good. We wait upon the Lord and we wait for his plan. And then when it unfolds, like, ah, we see how it fits in. Uh, there are plenty of people for those of us who are uh, alone. There are plenty of people for those of us who are looking for help. You know, there really is plenty. The question is, where are these people? How do we find them? And how many of them we, should we be looking for? 
And so as I started thinking about that more and more, which is leading us to the scriptures we're going to read this morning, I started thinking like there's two equal and opposite ways you can think about this question. One is the fearful way. Like there's not going to be enough people. We're not going to have enough people to fill out our pie chart. We're not going to have enough people to fix the things that need to get fixed around our home. Our home repairs are never going to happen. I'm not going to have enough people to find a close friend. Not going to have enough people. It's not going to be, I'm going to be alone. People don't care. People aren't committed. It's never going to work. Right? That, that's a fear. Like we need a certain number to do a thing and there just won't be enough. But I think that can't be the life that God calls us to when he talks about faith, when he talks about joy, when he talks about hope and confidence. It can't be that. So even though that may scare us, we can't stay there. But then isn't there the other sort of overconfidence? Or it's like, we've got plenty of people. I'm not worried. <laughs> things are fine. And so I started thinking of those things as like people insecurity and people pride as two separate categories. And maybe at different times in our lives, we've fallen into them. Maybe you've been in a place of people pride. I've got plenty of friends. And then there's a falling out and like all those friends are gone. And you realize, wow, I was taking all that for granted. I was overconfident that these relationships would always be the way they've always been. And nothing would take them away. Overconfident in a marriage and then things start to struggle. Well, I'm married, so I'll be married. Like, well, then, well, now what's happening here? There's a, a people pride. And, and certainly taking for granted. Those who have children are blessed with them. I'm sure we take for granted the fact that God's given us children. What about all those families and couples and people that can't have? And afraid they never will. Or don't know there's not enough. And others like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And then there's a falling out between us and our children. And all of a sudden that relationship isn't there. Like, oh. What we need is the way I'm picturing it. We need sufficiency. God's sufficiency, people's sufficiency as like the middle point. There is enough and it's because of God. There will be people for me because of God. And there might not be one extra person. There not, might even be one more than is needed, but there will be what's needed. And this is what we see in Scripture all the time. God sends people to aid others in a time of need right at the right moment. Steve Hedges yesterday went and got coffee cups, extra cups for us because we saw we were running low. And as he walks in, the last two cups are being delivered. And he just brings in the next batch and pops them right down. Like he, God does that continually at the right moment. And we just need one Steve. And he was the right person for the right time in a small way. But God does this in big ways as well. So where do you fall today? And not even like your whole life, but today. Are you in a place of people insecurity? Are you in a place of people pride? Like, got what we need? Or are you recognizing somewhere in the middle there is people sufficiency. There will be enough. God has enough people for what he wants to do. And usually the enough that God has is going to be like a spiritual challenge. Um, for either of our people here, our, our insecure people or our proud, kind of overconfident people. Because for someone fearful, God's never going to give us quite enough that we don't have to think or trust or believe. Like, he gives us just enough. So someone who's afraid there isn't going to be enough, you want a little extra just to make sure that things are going to work out. And God's like, no, I'm just going to give you just enough. Keep you praying. Keep you waiting on me. And for the people that have so much, like we've got plenty, he's probably going to strip down some of this. You're going to experience loss until you get down to the level where God says, oh, now we're working on faith. And so there are two great scriptures that talk about these two equal and opposite sort of approaches to the people in our lives. And I think it's very relevant for us as a church, too, because as we've gone through this pandemic, we've had a lot of people move on from our church, right? 
friends that either go into local, other local churches or friends that have moved away across the country. We've had new friends come and join us. So God's shifted things around, but that like rocks our people's security. Right? Do we have enough? We, didn't have, we don't have as much as we used to have. What will be enough? We're going someplace new. We don't even know what we need. And this is actually a good faith-building thing for us to just believe. I am so confident that we have exactly the people we need to accomplish what God wants done at the center. I don't know how much that is, but I believe that he's sufficient. And so for those of us who feel like, ah, no worry, God might make you worry a little bit just to show you that it's him. And for those that are afraid, like, don't be. We can trust God with big things. There's plenty of time for all that he wants, and there are plenty of people for him to accomplish his purposes. So the first passage, we are in uh, the book of Judges. So we've been in Joshua. Like I said, we're moving on from Joshua. This next passage is in Judges. It's chapter 7. And both of these, I hope, are familiar. This first one probably more so than the second to, to most of us. But this is Joshua, uh, Judges 7. Verse 1. And as we're reading through it, I'd like you to just think about what this passage has to say to people who are afraid there won't be enough. There won't be a, a partner for me. There won't be a spouse for me. There won't be a friend for me. There won't be a church for me. There won't be a place for me. There won't be people. My children won't have enough Christian friends. They won't have a, a they won't have a, a partner waiting for them later in life that God's ordained. Like, what are the things we think about and what are the things we don't have enough people for? Uh, this speaks to that. And just look at how God points out his sufficiency to Gideon. So I'm just going to read it for us. And then whatever thoughts you have, uh, how this relates to us, I'd love to hear. Judges 7, 1. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose up early and encamped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. That's just a fascinating phrase. You have too many people for me to win the victory. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away to Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So clearly, started with 32,000 people. And when God said, Just let everybody go home who's afraid, who doesn't have faith that this is going to work, just let them go. Release them to go to their homes. And he did. Left with 10,000 that were like committed. This is going to work. We see it. We feel it. And then God says, verse uh, 4, The people you have are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. Any of whom, one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, every one of you who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. Now the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who have lapped the water, I will save you, and I will give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent. But he retained 300 men from the 32,000 that they began with. 
That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. This is a little bit like what Nicole was saying a minute ago, if we're going to relate it to the center. If you're not sure we're going to make it to Taunton, like sneak down there during the lights on ceremony. See what you hear and it will give you confidence. <laughs> so this relates to so many different things, but it certainly relates to our journey and the, the, the challenge ahead of us. All right, so then, then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance that just spread across the countryside. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. He divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets into the hands of all of them, and empty jars with torches inside of the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets and also on every side of all the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. And so they did this. The, the remainder of the chapter talks about them surrounding it. They smash the jars. They shout. And uh, the enemy fights amongst itself. It's thrown into utter confusion. And the Midianites are, are slaying each other left and right. And God gets the victory there instead of Gideon. What do you think this story, this event, this historical retelling of this moment has to say to all of us and to anyone, people we know that struggle with, will there be enough people? Will I have enough? How can this speak to us? What stood out to you? Or, or what do you think? This is the same God that we worship. How did God handle this? And how can it encourage us? Does this strike any chords? Does it make us think of anything? Sally. I just, the song just keeps going through my head. There's nothing that our God can't do. Right. And as we were talking about the center, I was thinking that. And I mean, it does apply to us. We're his people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if God was saying to us, you have too many people to go down to the center? <laughs> We're going to send them to this place called Missouri, wherever that even is. We're going to bring in some people from Illinois and from places, Michigan and other places. We'll import some. They you know, it's just, what if he's saying that same sort of thing to us? Then instead of it being like a, a loss, it's like God planning things. He's like setting us up. He's preparing us, but through reducing so that he can get the glory. Yeah, there's definite parallels there. That fits. I saw a hand somewhere on this side too. Sandra. Yeah. He's bringing, even if it's just a small amount, those small amounts just bring all their faith in. Mm. And, mm. Yeah. yeah, small faith. Yeah, Bob, what do you think? Uh, I was just thinking, like, if, like the center, if 
there was an abundance of money and we had millions of dollars and just went in there and just did it. Yeah. Like we wouldn't need that that faith of, of what God's going to do with yeah. the $90,000 instead. <laughs> like let's go, let's go see what God does with it instead of just mm. throwing money at it. And, yeah. Like there would be too much money and we would never know if God was behind it. Amen. Yeah, I was thinking similarly, like when you have plenty or abundance or you don't want for anything, you don't really turn to God for provision mm -hmm. and trust. You're kind of trusting in your own, like what you have, because you're right. all set. It's when you don't have enough, generally, that we mm. go first. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Tracy. I think you guys kind of already brought New Hope down to the water. Yeah. Last January. Yeah. Uh, kind of the whole information of this, and when you guys talked about your vision and stuff, um, we saw that decline in numbers for many different reasons. COVID, right. yep. families, with yep. them, uh, whatever reasons God has made houses, that's fine. I mm -hmm. feel like we've already been brought to the water. We could be brought again, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but we're already operating off of. 300 men versus a <laughs> yeah. Just right. in case anybody's wondering. And, <laughs> but that's the winning formula. And, um, it's good. And I think it's a beautiful story. We're already, I think, mm. not to mention everybody here, but I will say to the hearts that are already walking by faith in this um, mm. and, and not being naysayers and I'm out, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm. I think we're already walking in that. Just for mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. These are good thoughts. Maybe it relates to any other part of life or the center still, whatever. David? Yeah, um, to me, it reminds me of, like, we're talking about the insecure people, right? Right. And Gideon, I see him as that person, right? I do too. And then, so it's, it's cool to see him here, like, even though he was afraid, he was being obedient. Mm. Listening to the Lord, and he was being obedient. Mm. The Lord said, you can go ahead and trust me right away, but you know what? Go ahead and see. I want to give you assurance. Yeah. So I think the Lord, in the midst of everything, He always gives us His assurance. So you're on the right track. You yeah. might have gone, but just trust me, you're on my hand. Mm. So I think for the fearful people, which I'm one of those, mm. okay. is, yeah, you can still be afraid and still trust God. You can take the small steps. Just you have to tune your ear mm. and trust Him. Yeah, no, it's excellent. Excellent. Agreed. Agreed. Any other thoughts before we read the opposite end of the spectrum? Well, I, I was just thinking, I mean, if, if God, when they had, you know, 30,000 and brought it down to 10,000 and then down to 300, um, God can do what he wants with as many as he wants. And, you know, right. he, he picked people by how they left one or a time. Hmm. You know, they took it up with it. You know, I mean, so, you know, who knows? In what way that you know he mm. sifted here, but mm. I mean, he didn't leave us. You know, we've had what maybe 120 on good, mm -hmm. good times. Sure. And, and if we went down to 12, that would be a 10. And then he divided mm. that, and it would be you know unique and each other. So that's why he didn't bring us to that. Yeah, but if right. he had, he would have been still. But you know, I I think that what it is is who's here is committed. Yeah. Couldn't see the vision, wouldn't be committed to something they couldn't see or feel. Mm. So, and I think, I mean, just from yesterday, one lady, she was like, "Are you going to do a church too?" Like she, 
And, and, and all, I, of course, yes. She literally jumped up and down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, oh, good, yes. <laughs> and I mean, and her boyfriend just lives a few hours down upstairs. And, and yeah. she, she was just so happy. She, you know, I, I've just been baptized in the last few years, and she's just mm. so excited. Mm. And just, you know, that one person. Yeah. You know, who knows what is going to be brought when, when we're there. And, right. And we're over and so. Right. All right, let's read our next passage, because we kind of put them together. It's all one thought, but it, it's relating to us at different seasons. This one's 2 Samuel. Chapter 24. So a few books further on. Um, for those who have been kind of following along uh, with previous sermons, you know we talked about the Gibeonites, and they were a nation that tricked um, Joshua. They're mentioned in 2 Samuel, just a chapter or two before ours. Yeah, chapter 21. And remember how they're supposed to be protected by Israel? Well, it turns out that Saul had killed some of their members, and so this plague came upon Israel, and David kind of avenges that and reconciles that with God. There's just a tie-in with the Gibeonites. It's one of the other places that we see them in Scripture, and God is continuing to protect and bless them even in this season of the nation of Israel. So if you're interested, we're here because we're looking at David uh, taking his census, his pride in how many people he has, and his overconfidence. Um, but I couldn't help but notice just a couple of chapters before this is a really beautiful story of God's faithfulness to the Gibeonites who got into his family through trickery, <laughs> um, but really were part of his plan. And he stayed faithful to them all the way through and, and held Israel to their covenant um, to bless and protect them from, you know, generations later than what we read about just a few weeks ago. So anyway, I'm going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 24. And these are for people who kind of fall into the category and struggle with people pride. We've got plenty. Look how much we have. Self-confidence, not God-confidence, not just it's sufficient. It's more than enough. Pride comes before a fall for David here, King David. So, uh, 2 Samuel 24.1. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them saying, go, number Israel and Judah. I'm going to stop here. This is not God giving David a bad idea that he's going to then punish him for following on. The previous chapter before that is all laying out all the warriors, all the heroes. They had gotten to a place militarily and nationwide that they were proud of who they had. So God brings David to the point of recognizing his pride. He kind of puts the mirror up in front of him to see how far they had fallen from their God confidence and sufficiency into people pride and so he gives David this idea that is going to like make it clear to David how the nation is feeling at this time you can see if you read the chapters before how it builds to this point um, so this is how God brings it to a head to make his point to David um, he incited David against them saying go number Israel and Judah count the people so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. This doesn't on the face look terrible, but his response shows you that they knew what was right to do and were not. This was not it. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of the, my lord the king shall still see it. But why? Does my lord the king delight in this thing? This is the end of David's life. This is a legacy statement. He wants to look at all that he has accomplished as he is about to pass away in the next chapter or two. And so his servant here is saying, may you see a hundred times while your eyes are still awake to see him, but you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to brag before the Lord about how much you have done and how powerful you are counting your people? 
4, verse 4. But the king's word prevailed against Joab, against greater wisdom, and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began from Aror, from the city that is in the middle of the valley, toward God and on to Jazer. In, in the land of Hittites. And they came around to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon, and came to the fortress of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites and Canaanites. And they went out to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. And so they'd gone through all the land, and they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart, because his conscience, struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant. I have done very foolishly. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to prophet Gad, David's seer, his prophet. Go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. <coughs> Penance. A punishment, a consequence. So Gad came to David and told him and said, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. Now the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned, I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go and raise up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So he does, God relents, the plague is averted. We have here David wanting to end his life, sitting back. I mean, look at what all I've done. This is the, the dream so many of us have. I want to get to the end of my days, and I want to be on the porch with the, the log cabin in the woods and all the grandkids running around and enough money in the savings account so that I can be comfortable and I can do what I want and look back on a life well lived. No regrets, like that kind of a thing. David's wanting that. But God's not about to die. David's about to die. So God's not done with what he's doing. And instead of David continuing to live by faith for the next thing, the next thing, he's like trying to close the book and saying, look at what has been accomplished. And God's saying, well, I'm just still in process. We haven't even gotten to my son and the cross. David, you don't know anything about this stuff. We're going to get, like, you're just a piece in the puzzle. It's not all about you. You can't sit back at the end of your life and say, what have I done? We step back and say, wow, look what God is still doing. And I got to be a part of it for a time. And so he offends the Lord. And I think it's also shows his character at this time. It's not great character. When given a choice between taking the punishment himself, he says, no, let not me suffer. 
let a pestilence come upon the land. So he's not taking responsibility. He's not willing to just take the brunt of his own sin. The people as a whole do. But God is still merciful. So we always see no matter how bad our judgment is, no matter the decisions that we make, God is there continuing to be faithful. Um, but in this case, it wasn't David's fear that God had to play with. It was David's overconfidence. It was his pride. Look at what I've done. And if any one of us thinks that we can look God in the face and be like, man, I've got it all figured out, and have him not turn around and humble us almost immediately, you are not thinking clearly. He does not tolerate that. I feel like he tolerates pride less than he tolerates sin, and he doesn't tolerate either of them, but he certainly will not allow a man or woman to stand in his presence and say, look what I've done, without him doing a little bit of course correction, saying, oh yeah, you think you built that? Watch it go away, and it can. But that doesn't have to be scary because we believe that God is the one with plenty. So as long as we're with him, he'll continue to provide. It's just when we start taking ownership of it and we start feeling proud in it. Could we fast forward since we're talking so much about the center? It's not the only thing this sermon replies to. But since we're, could we fast forward five or ten years from now to a very complacent, self-confident New Hope family? Look at all we've done. Ooh. Look at all the people. Whew. Look, we put floors three and four on this thing. Wow. That... It'll close like the next day or burn down the next week. Because it's not about the center. That's just an opportunity. It's God doing what he's going to do. Do I get to the end of my ministry at some point and I'm old, grizzled Dave walking around with white hair and a cane and, and I'm trying to look back and see what I've done? You think God's going to honor that at that stage in my life? He's not going to be done when I die and when we die. He's still going to be doing stuff. So we're responsible for honoring him with the time frame that he gives us. But it's not going to be done with us. So we don't look back and say it's finished. We say, wow, maybe if God did this, what more could he do? You know, dream forward. Pray into the next generation of God's kingdom what he'll lead them to do. But give me some thoughts that have come to your mind here. This is our second passage. We put them together for those times we feel overconfident. We're kind of people proud what does the scripture have to say to us? What can we learn? What thoughts does it trigger? They both emulate that we do not need the numbers, the power, the wealth, anything. Right? Just, yeah, in one person. Literally just one person. Yeah. <clears throat> what else? What else? Of work? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Sally? We need to keep our pride in check. But I was thinking about David and, and God called him a godly man and right. he did wonderful, wonderful things, but then in the end, the his pride got the best of him. Yeah. It did, but then he repented. So he doesn't fail and fall here. He's like stumbles, you know? This isn't the, the failing conclusion. It, he just, he did it wrong. And that's, in this moment, forgiven by God, it's restored. So, yeah, even after all he'd experienced, even later in his life, it didn't mean that he couldn't fall into another trap another time. But God lifts him out of that one, too.
I'm looking here in this translation of verse 14. Yep. And David says, I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to God. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. Mm -hmm. And I guess I reflect that into 49 me. Mm -hmm. um, when the bill's too big and the task is too difficult and the supplies are not available and this, mm -hmm. the, any of the details that come um, right here, let me fall into the hands of the Lord mm -hmm. for his mercy is great. Yeah. And then we and then we move on. And mm -hmm. do it afraid, do it scared, do it however, but um, I don't want to fall into human hands. I don't want to feel like the city of Taunton or some mm. inspector has more power than God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to make a couple of points on how I like to define sufficiency. All right. So we've talked about this middle ground sufficiency. Can I give us some thoughts to like picture that, flesh it out a little bit? The first thing we've seen in some of these here is that sufficiency can be small. Sufficiency often is small. Like how many people are going to need? Well, what do you need them for? Sometimes we do this with friends as well. Like, I just wish I had more friends. Well, how many close friends does one person need? And how many can you really maintain? You probably need one or two heart-to-heart -heart brothers or sisters, right? And then friends beyond that. It can be exhausting to have too many friends that you can't keep up with. Maybe you play this game as well, and you're trying to like stay in touch with friends from high school and stay in touch with friends from college, and you've got your neighbors, and you've got things that you do, people you do stuff with, you've got coworkers, and everybody's like touching base, and oh, I haven't heard from you in a while, and you feel overwhelmed. Like, do you really want 500 close friends? I don't. I'd be happy to have 500 people I'm friendly with, but I would feel so overwhelmed trying to be close friends with 500 people. What's going on in their lives? I can't keep up with 10 people, what's actually going on in their lives. And that's where Jesus' wisdom, do you remember there's the one, the three, the 12, and the 70? Jesus had these circles of friendship. We should always go back to this and remind ourselves of this because he wasn't ever overwhelmed and yet he was surrounded by crowds. His one was God, right? He had one person, so our one is Christ. Your spouse is not your one. Your kids are not your one. Jesus is your one. So with that, there should be pretty good sufficiency. But Jesus also had three close friends. Do you have your three? Pray for the three. Be like a little Davy. Dear God, please give me a best friend. Pray for it. Ask for it because it's good. If you don't have three, it gets lonely even in 12s. And it gets lonely in 70s. So who are your circles of friends and how much is enough? How many wives do you need? One. How many husbands do you need? One. Sufficient. A good one. A compatible one. A godly one. Not praying for muchness necessarily. Sufficiency can be small. And that's a beautiful thing. So if we're asked the question about the church, what's the sufficient number of people to complete the construction at Maine? You pick that. Like, I don't know. It could be a very small number. That's all that God needed. Or it could be a gigantic number, and that's what God provided. But don't be afraid of small. Sometimes small is exactly what's needed in a moment. So the first thing, sufficiency can be small. The second one, sufficiency can be miraculous. So we only have X number of humans. But how many angels will God send named Marlin? 
and other such folks to fill in all the gaps. God may need a hundred beings to finish one of our projects, but we only have a hundred humans. So he'll provide 50 angels, right? Like sufficiency can be miraculous. And when we do our calculations, like we know we need X amount to get from A to B. And God's like, yeah, but you're only going to be responsible for 10% of that. Because I actually have plans to take care of the rest of the 90% for you. So sufficiency isn't just a math problem. How much do I need to get from A to B? It's how much maybe is needed. How much will God need to provide in some capacity? And what part of that is for me? That's a fine way to answer the question. But sufficiency is not just get the head count, get the bank account, and then proceed. It's, all right, this is what is needed. Let's see how God provides. And it doesn't have to be tangible. The, the cookies that didn't run out until 8 o'clock last night. The hot cocoa that didn't run out until 8 Like, sufficiency. How much do we need? We don't know. But God will provide whatever we need if we give whatever we can. There's miracles involved in sufficiency, and I love that. Um, another point is that sufficiency can be mismanaged. Can be mismanaged. So just like we saw with time, if we, we, we don't have time to just worry about whether we're going to have enough time, right? We don't have time to waste on random things. We don't have time to wait and hope that something might happen. To use the time that God's given us, we go. We're confident. We, we act. It's the same way with people. We don't have time to worry, will there be enough people? We need to just do what God's calling us to do and see what God does with people. We shouldn't spend our time worrying, will God provide me with that spouse, that friend, that, that Bible study, that teacher, that discipleship, that opportunity. That, that worrying is not going to get us where God is calling us. Our small steps of obedience, right? A million consecutive obedience steps is a life, worth, a life well lived. That, that's this process. So God does have plenty of people but he doesn't want us to spend our time worrying about whether there'll be plenty of people. That's mismanaging our faith when it comes to numbers. Uh, and the same thing with wasting, too. I hate to say it this way, it's a little bit blunt, but there's some people we don't have time to waste on. Does that make sense? Yeah. You don't have time to waste your time on everyone. And so that's a discernment thing, because there's people that we might not want to spend any time with that we really need to be spending time with, so this isn't like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, you know all the people that annoy you? Skip them. No. But there are some people that are wasting our time. This happens in relationships. This happens with some people that we're chasing after so hard, and we should just let them go, because if we turned around, a person who's like eager and ready is right behind us that we can't see. So there are enough people, but they not, might not be the people that we see yet. And just manage your people well. Who are you investing in? Are they returning that investment? Is it what God's calling you to do? We, there's too many people to invest in them all. Facebook and social media makes that perfectly plain. There's too many. Okay, but there's plenty of people for who we need. And there's plenty of people that need us in the right way. We really do need to pursue that so that we don't waste our time and, and afterwards look back, oh, what about all those people I could have witnessed to, all those people I could have helped, all the people have been so good for me, but I was so busy enabling this other relationship that I never just let it go. And I, you know, we play this game and we have to be careful. We can mismanage our people. 
We can mismanage our children. We have them in our homes for a short time, but then we like mismanage what we do with that time. We think it's just about like putting a paycheck on the table and then they're gone and we're like, oh man, didn't spend time building the relationship that I needed to. We mismanage those relationships in that stage of life. Or our, our spouses, we take them for granted and we don't invest in them. We mismanage that and then we realize that it fades or it fractures or there's hurts or offenses. Like, ah, oh, okay. We can certainly mismanage our people, but there are plenty. There's enough for you and for me, for all of us. We need to pursue what God calls us to with the people that he calls us to. And the waiting, that was the third mismanagement. We could wait to go witness to someone, but why? What's going to be different about tomorrow? We could wait to make that phone call to build that friendship, like, hey, let's grab coffee, but why would we wait? Don't wait. You don't have time to wait to pursue these people that God's put in your lives. When you know, you know, and then just get to it. Um, Gideon, just as well as Joshua, got the word of the Lord, and then immediately, that night, they're marching. That's a good way to be with the Lord always. Obedience quickly. Not impulsively, but when we know, we know, and then we go. Last two points on this, and then we're going to move towards communion. Uh, ultimate sufficiency for us in all things. This fourth point, um, sufficiency shouldn't be selfish. All these things we've sort of talked about so far have been how God will give us enough people. You and I need to be someone else's sufficiency also. Look around at the people who don't have the friends they need, the help they need, the encouragement they need. Be that for them because as they're praying that God provides someone, it could be you. It could be me. So if sufficiency is like, I've got enough, and it stops there, ah, no, no, it's not. It's not what Jesus did. He's not like, I've got enough, I'm good. He's like, look at what they need. I'm going to go. I can give. I can sacrifice. So keep your eyes open for the gaps in other people, their needs, be their sufficiency. And this leads us to the last point. Christ is our sufficiency. It's him. It's Jesus or bust. It's the only thing we need, the only thing we live for, and that doesn't just mean that we take Christ and we keep him. We share him. It doesn't mean we're just thankful so much for you coming to earth and then dying, you know, Christmas and Easter, these huge earth-changing moments just for me. No, it's for every one of the people that walked in front of the center last night, was in downtown town. That's all for them too. Christ is their sufficiency, but they might not know it. They might not believe it. So we can't just keep Christ for ourselves, but we do need him to be enough. And so that's where we fall in sufficiency. We need to remember what it is. We need to have some faith when it doesn't look like it. When we look around, we're like, mm, there's only 300 of us. And you realize, yeah, but God's got countless people at his. Remember we had in, in another example of the miraculous show, we had that group from, was it Minnesota and Florida or Texas and Florida or something that came and just showed up one day and spent four hours down at the center chipping all the mortar off the brick walls in the back. We had been praying and we prayed that day, God help us know how to do that. And I got a phone call and they were there like that afternoon or maybe it was the night before we prayed and the next afternoon. There's 30 teenagers from churches in different states that had been brought up to Massachusetts for a work project, and their work project got canceled that day. And someone through the grapevine is like, oh yeah, the center's got some stuff they're working on down there. You want to help? So I get a phone call. Like, that's sufficiency. We had plenty of people, and it wasn't us at all. 
I don't even know if there were any of us there that day. There might have been maybe one or two of us, but it wasn't for us. So they were our sufficiency. They weren't just praying that God would be sufficient for them. They were willing to be a sufficiency for us. And that's a great way for us to live. That's kind of the definition of missional, incarnational. We live in outward. We're not just looking to fill our tank. We're trying to pour out and bless others as well. So there are plenty of people for all that God wants to do. There's plenty of time for it to be done. And um, this Lord's Supper, this table here, uh, this is the proof of it. How many messiahs did it take? Right? It literally took one divine dude. One God-man was enough. That's what it took. Whereas if we're thinking how we're going to solve all the world's problems, we think big, big, big. And God was like, no, one. It was sufficient. Christ is sufficient. For all the sins, for all time. The things we read about David sinning, fast forward to all the sins that we commit. Same Jesus. Same cross. One. So what's sufficient for our eternity? One person. What's sufficient for our forgiveness? One person. What's sufficient for our hope? One. You know, it's enough. No matter thing, one is enough. One is enough if it's God's one. And so I want to just invite us, music team, we'll come forward now. We'll, we'll start a closing song. Um, just take a minute and think about what's enough for you. Will it ever be enough? Or will you always be afraid that it's never going to be enough? God is sufficient. He has plenty of people to meet our needs. He has plenty of opportunities for us to meet other people's needs. And um, just pray about and kind of sort out with him what you need to believe when it comes to God's abundance in this way. And then whenever you're ready, come forward and celebrate the one who is enough for all of us.